Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio. Brought to you by Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, a comprehensive wound resolution, and UHMS accredited hyperbaric medicine practice with four offices to serve you. Find us on the web at www.hbomdga.com. Facebook and Twitter at HBOMDGA. Good afternoon. This is C.W. Hall, your host of Top Docs Radio. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day to uh, join us here on the show. Just real quickly, uh, a little bit about why we're here. Uh, in my day job, when I'm not here on the microphone, I'm a physician liaison for a, a physician group here in uh, the Atlanta metro area, and we work with patients who have a variety of problems, typically chronic wound of some sort. Uh, a large group of patients that we work with every day are folks who've had radiation in the past and now they've developed troubles. And uh, what we found in the, the course of our everyday work is that uh, there's a big gap in awareness about uh, what we do, both on the part of physicians who work with these patients every day when they're uh, dealing with these problems, as well as from the patient perspective who's trying to learn what can I do to uh, help my situation out? So uh, we sought out ways that we could maybe begin to get the word out about what we do, and we got this nice opportunity here on uh, Business Radio X to help get the word out about what, what our practice does, and uh, and now we get the opportunity to do the same about other community resources, but whether it's uh, physicians in the area, treatments or issues that are going on with uh, the healthcare community. And then today, uh, I'm very pleased to be joined with uh, four very special individuals, uh, each of whom is uh, in their own right a breast cancer survivor of several years, some of them uh, more than once uh, through that journey. And so uh, because we've got a full slate of guests, I'd like to go ahead and get right down to it and go ahead and go around the table real quick and I'll just introduce you and then we'll we'll, we'll start uh, hearing about uh, uh, everybody's story. So um, right off the top, I've got uh, Judy Keppen. Hi, Charlie. I've got Lynn Wyatt. Hi. Janet Beebe. Hi there. And Cookie After got here with me. Glad to be here. And uh, and Judy, I, I happen to have known you for a little while now, uh, uh, since you're actually part of the family. But uh, as it happens, um, you're one of the folks that uh, not too awful long ago had an experience hearing those words, uh, you know, that uh, we need to talk. You have uh, come back with a positive uh, test and you have cancer and we need to talk about that. So tell me a little bit about what happened for you, Judy. Well, I went for Four and a half years ago, I went for my annual mammogram, um, and they saw something suspicious, and they decided to redo it, and then from there, uh, they did a biopsy. Uh, and then I waited for the results. How long did you have to wait? Uh, a couple of days. My doctor finally called and said, Judy, is your husband there with you? I knew at that point, I didn't think I was going to hear good news. Mm-hmm. Um, but she said, yes, it was ductal carcinoma. From there, I went and had a, a lumpectomy. Uh, luckily, it was diagnosed at stage zero, and it was all contained. So for those of us who are just kind of starting to learn about breast cancer, stage zero obviously being kind of the early, early stages of That's it. That's the best scenario, really. I mean, it, uh, and luckily, uh, for me, it was caught early. Uh, it would not have been caught without a mammogram. It wouldn't have been caught by self-exam because it, it was up against the chest wall. So it was beneath the tissue in such a place yes. that you wouldn't have been able to yes. feel it when you were doing right. your exam on yourself. Right. I see. Um, and my doctor told me that I was one of the best examples for 
women to get their mammograms. I see. I was then put on, uh, it was determined I didn't need chemo or radiation, and they put me on tamoxifen. And I've been on it for four and a half years, luckily with no side effects. I've got another six months to go. Now, tamoxifen being a medication that you can take that's supposed to have it's, some preventive yes, qualities to it. Yes, it's preventative because this was estrogen receptive. Mm -hmm. Tamoxifen repels the estrogen in the body. So it's preventative. I see. And so as it happened, we were talking a little bit a bit before, you know, when we were going to be having you on the show, and you mentioned the fact that at, uh, for a period of time as you went through menopause, you were actually on some hormone therapy that, uh, yes. you know, was it, estrogen. Uh, yes. It was like a mixed, it was a mixed program. It was estrogen. And progesterone. Progesterone. Yeah. High doses against my better judgment. I kept saying to my doctor, I, I just keep hearing that this isn't such a good thing, that maybe two years is long enough. Uh, and she maintained that it was men who made these decisions. It's about the quality of life. And I trusted, unfortunately, against my better instincts, I trusted her judgment. Mm. When I changed doctors, that's when I was told we need to get you weaned off of this. And thank God... Because had I been on that when I was diagnosed with this, it would have just spread like wildfire. I see. So, You're listening to Top Docs Radio, and then this is your host, C.W. Hall. We're talking with Judy Keppen about her uh, discovery that she had breast cancer. And, and, and Judy, now, you, you, you had some follow-up. Everything looked good as far as the breast? I get my annual mammogram. Right. Uh, my last one, they were seeing calcification. I did the mammogram. Redone, but they were sure it was just calcification that they were seeing. So, and I was told to just, you know, get my mammogram, my yearly mammogram, and and that was it. And then, subsequent to that, you were you were seeing your physician for some follow up care, and they found some abnormal cells on a. On well, a... I was told my oncology told me that one of the side effects of tamoxifen was uterine cancer, mm -hmm. and yes, I was having stomach problems and. They did an MRI, and they were seeing something on the uterus. Uh, my gynecologist wanted to do uh, a, a DNC, and I just looked at her and said, you know what, been there, done that, don't need it anymore. <laughs> Can you just take it out? Mm -hmm. And they did a hysterectomy. And so ever since then, so far, your follow-ups, everything's still so going, far, so going good. well. Yes. Now tell me, when you were, when you learned about cancer and you were going through this process and you were, you know, beginning to get educated about breast cancer and, and so forth and treatment options and, and all of that, tell me a little bit about, did you find, you know, did your doctor talk to you about, you know, support that you might be able to access? Yes. Tell me a little bit about that. Yes. What was it? Um, well, uh, we have a terrific, we had, we're from Tucson, Arizona. We're only here four months. Uh, and, you know, there was just a great support group there. So now is this a meeting of women or what, yes. what, what were you? Yes. Yes. Um, but I mean, I feel like I was so fortunate, you know, and my attitude was eh, cancer schmancer. I have too much to do. <laughs> <laughs> too busy to let this yeah. take me down. So I didn't get real involved with it. So for you, emotionally, it was very stressful, but at the same time, you felt confident that you could overcome what was being thrown at you. Yeah, I was thrown a bit of a curve, um, but so what? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it must have been challenging having, you know, being out there, uh, and it's just you and Richard. Your family is all East Coast. Yes. Well, that's and, one of the reasons. And Chicago, of yes. course. Yes. 
that's one of the reasons we're here in Atlanta to be closer to family. Well, we're we're very thrilled that uh, that you're here, and uh, we're certainly thrilled to hear that uh, your your story was one where you were able to catch uh, the the cancer at an early stage, such that they were able to do some maybe less extensive interventions and be able to return you to kind of a normal situation um, without having to go through some uh, yeah harder stuff. You know, I really had thought of having a mastectomy, and my surgeon said I can do that if that's what you want. But right now, that would be like doing a heart transplant for chest pains. He says, I'm not saying it won't come to that, but right now, you know. So I just opted to have the lumpectomy. Uh, so as a as a woman now who's, you know, been through the experience, you've learned that you had breast cancer, I mean, what would you say to uh, a woman that's, you know, maybe she doesn't, you know, she's never yet learned that she has breast cancer, but it uh, sounds like prevention is the key. That's, yes. In yet. terms of diagnosing yourself, yes. doing self-exams yes. and a mammogram. Do your self-examinations and, and get your mammograms. Get your mammograms. Well, thank you very much. You're listening to uh, Top Docs Radio. This is C.W. Hall. I'd like to, you know, move right along. We've got uh, a full slate of guests, and uh, our next guest is Lynn White. I was uh, pleased to be introduced to her a couple days ago through uh, a, a good friend of mine. And uh, you two are uh, uh, not only a breast cancer survivor, but uh, yours turned into a situation where you ended up dealing with um, some cancer that was metastasizing to some other places. So tell me a little bit about your story, Lynn. Correct. Where um, I think Judy had like the best possible experience. Um, I too was kind of in the same boat in that um, I basically got told that my prognos- prognosis was great. So I'll backtrack. Um, we left off with mammograms and I'll pick right back up there. I was at my annual, I was 40 years old and uh, had my mammogram scheduled did the mammogram. Um, I think the doctors tried to get in touch with me through a letter, which um, I never read. And then like two weeks later, I got a phone call that was, uh, Miss Wyatt, we didn't like something. Can you come back to Northside? Let's do another mammogram. And I said, sure. And, and I mean, it was really to the point where I didn't even mention it to anyone because they'll tell you it's your first mammogram. If you don't have a baseline, then we usually have to, we'll find, we'll probably find things that, that we don't know are there. Okay. No big deal. I go over to Northside, um, had actually just briefly mentioned it to my mom at some point and who immediately freaked out. And I said, Oh, no, 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 mom, this is no big deal. So literally put on my, um, my tough girl pink, uh, scarf, walked in there, was like, let's get this done, people. The kids will be off the bus in an hour. And, um, did the mammogram, walked in the room. And, um, when you get a mammogram, at least this one, the dark is, the room is dark and my film was on the wall. And this is the first time I've seen my film and the outline of the breast is obvious. And right there in the middle of it was what looked like a pebble. And I saw that and immediately, you know, okay. So you do the mammogram. And I mean, I've, I've gone from top of the world at this stage to holy cow. And as the day went on, because then I went in, I got an ultrasound, um, which some people will get and some people will not. I got an ultrasound. Nobody could find anything. It's not necessarily good news, as I've I've come to learn. Mm. And the radiologist walked in and just looked at me and said, I don't like this. And um, it was at that point that I went, oh, my God. Um so finished that day, called my husband, and I know we all have that I remember when moment 
where I was sitting in the North side hospital parking garage, looking out over the rooftop mm -hmm. and had called my husband at work, which I hate to do. <laughs> and um, literally the tears. I mean, you just, I mean, breast cancer. I was 40 years old. I, this was my first mammogram. This is, this doesn't happen this way. Right. So that was my first experience. I had originally also planned to do a lumpectomy because we had found it early at a very small tumor um, until we did a um, MRI of my breast. And the best way to explain that is, is when my radiologist threw those films up, the mammary glands in my breast lit up like a highway at night. Oh. Okay. That if you can envision what looks like millions of cars with their headlights on running down a highway. Okay. And at that point I said, this is, you know, there is no other option here. We need to take this breast because they felt like what was precancerous in those mammary glands would one day probably turn into a tumor or another tumor. So I kind of looked at my radiologist and said, all right, so yeah, let's take them both, take both take both breasts. And um, I had recently learned of reconstruction options. And one of them was TRAM. And that's something I think doctors do need to spend some more time on explaining. I think most people go in assuming they've got to have um, one type of, of reconstruction. And a TRAM is where they take all of your belly fat, okay? They squish it up your body and they make boobs out of it. All right. So I looked at my doctor and said, let me get this right. I'm 40. And I can get a free boob job and a free tummy tuck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that was my decision. I uh, went in. Um, it was a six-hour surgery. And uh, literally the double mastectomy took, I think, an hour of that. And the rest of it was, was my plastic surgeon. So kudos to him. Um, it was not the easiest um, recuperation. When you get a tummy tuck, ladies, if you're considering about it, talk to me first. Anybody choosing to do it, I think, might be a little bit crazy. But in the end, it's been lovely for me because at the time I actually reduced the size of my breasts and the size of my body. And so I kind of went forward with that attitude that I was kind of a whole new woman. All right. So I did chemo. Um, I am HER2 new positive and I'm also estrogen. I'm an estrogen receptor. I think they sometimes call us double positives, but HER2 new is one of the specific, um, I don't know if it's an enzyme. I don't, I don't, I don't, get into all the medical. I just know. But the good news about that is there is a drug called Herceptin that has recent was had at the time been recently developed to specifically treat my type of breast cancer. So I did six treatments of chemo. I did lose all my hair, um, lived through that and um, then continued with Herceptin for another year. So off I went. Lynn was done. Moving on, um, my children were going to school, life had returned to normal. And then about a year ago now, um, I play tennis and I had a day on the courts where literally my back was killing me. I just, I, I got off the courts, lost the match and, um, I was in tears. I had taken eight ibuprofen and there was nothing going to it. And I continued with this back pain for a while. Uh, we had done some PT, had gone to physical therapy, nothing was fixing me. So along the lines of listening to your body and following your instincts, I finally ended up um, just in my regular oncology six-month visit. Never, you know, we never figured all this out. My, I'm telling everybody. And um, did a normal blood test. And in that blood test, my liver enzymes showed some abnormality. They were just elevated just a tidge. And I got the call that said, okay, and not, this is not a big deal, Lynn. I don't know how many people I send to go do the CT scan. Just, we're going to do it. We just to rule it out. And I mean, that's how good my prognosis was. I was, um, I don't think I mentioned when I 
did my double mastectomy. They took my lymph nodes out, five of them, all negative. So as far as everyone, anyone was concerned, um, no cancer had spread outside of the breast area. So we get the CT scan and I get the phone call that is, hi, Lynn, are you driving? <laughs> and you know, you know that what what's about to come is um is bad news and so i'm right. sitting in the living room with my two children who are at the time nine and seven or six and eight in any event i'm like uh no so i get up and i walk into the other room and as it turned out um i had had i had tumors on my liver my my breast cancer had metastasized at the time we assumed it was my breast cancer and not a different type of cancer which is hard for people to get when you have tumors on your liver how is that breast cancer because at some point in time the the cancer from my breast had spread through my bloodstream i um i had tumors or lesions as they like to call it throughout my hips and spine and then after um subsequent PET scans and a brain MRI. I basically had lesions from my neck to my femur on my spine. And then I had one small lesion in my brain just to round out everything. So I'm 44 at that point in time. I'm four and a half years through my tamoxifen. And um, five years, of course, is where they basically tell you you're kind you're of good to go. Right. right. Or, you know, you've at least made it that far. Um, I'm the mother of as I said, two children who aren't even close to being out of elementary school yet. And um, yeah, at that point, life becomes very, very hard. So um, they threw everything at me, which is exactly what I wanted them to do. I went back into chemo. Um, and this time, good news, because there is always good news about breast cancer. That's the amazing thing is there is no shortage of funding, thanks to Komen and all the other fantastic resources out there, um, that they are developing drugs at a rate that I can't even imagine. So there was a, a new drug called Pergida that um, goes after metastatic breast cancer. Um, so Taxotere, Taxotere is what I call the mean drug. That's the one that makes your hair fall out and makes you fall asleep for a few days and, and all of that. But Pergida and Herceptin again, um, I continue getting um, IV chemotherapy every three weeks. Um, with my oncologist and I've had, I just recently did both a PET and an MRI and I have been cancer free since um, August of last year. So we continue to move forward with life because I plan to be at everybody's wedding. I plan to be at everybody's graduation. I plan to hold my husband's hand in Italy when we're 80 and touring the city and <laughs> embracing everything life has to offer. So for you, as you as you move forward, obviously you've got a team of physicians that kind of yes. you worked with over over yeah. this time. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. I mean, you know, how does it flow for you, and who do you you know who do you follow up with now on a regular basis? <laughs> all right, everybody, get get your pens and pencils out to try and keep track of all this. Um, but this is kind of actually part of the all the good news. Most of us that are metastatic survivors work more considered. Um, not so much a death sentence, but a chronic illness. Literally, this is what my oncologist says to me, is that she's treating me as if I were a diabetic patient, that I'm going to live with this for the rest of my life. And therefore, that is my that is my goal. That is my life. So having said that, it's kind of become an interesting subcategory uh, for physicians where um, Herceptin, they found, if you take it long enough, it could possibly harm part of your heart. So I now have a cardiologist. Mm -hmm. That cardiologist has also begun to um, kind of specialize in treating uh, chemotherapy patients. Whereas before, you know, this 
never existed. So yes, I have a cardiologist. I have an onco neurologist. She's the one who keeps track of my brain. I have a <laughs> neurological surgeon. I have oncologist. I have a general practitioner. I have, let me think about this. We just add some, we added somebody else recently. Um, I mean, it's crazy, but I literally have at least one doctor's appointment a week that I'm going to see. And um, how long will that continue in, on that pace? Do you think? Um, forever. Um, and literally you'll be seeing somebody, you know, Almost, almost yeah, every week or so. Yeah, because the longer you do chemotherapy, the more we find, the more we find, the more our doctors find. How is it long-term affecting how my body functions? I mm. mean, chemo is nothing to be messed with, right? right? There's a reason it comes out in a bag with a little skeleton and a big red X on it. It is toxic stuff. So while it's keeping me alive as far as the cancer goes, I don't think we're quite where we understand other factors. Okay. I mean, God knows it's nothing like it used to be. I was thinking about that this morning, the things we do to stay alive and I'll do anything. I mean, I will do anything to stay alive. I don't think there's many of us who wouldn't. And to think about what the chemo patients did years ago, yeah, where they were throwing up for days. I mean, we don't do that. We, at least I didn't, nothing I've ever taken has made me nauseous, nor have many of the women I've spoken to that have done chemo never made me, never made them nauseous. I mean, yeah, it definitely affects your life, but it's nothing, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that just continues to get better and better. So there's nothing but good news on the horizon, I think, for us. Tell me a little bit about, real quickly, um, you know, what what resources, you know, mm. did so from a support perspective, maybe you should check out this and this. What, sure. what were you told to, to look into to help you along this journey? Yeah, um, I am, I think I'm similar to Judy in that there are definitely, there's so many resources out there. First of all, there are. Go through the American Cancer Society, go through Komen, go through any of those. If you need to talk to somebody, get a therapist find a group. I am being metastatic. You know, that's not always a good news. And I didn't want to be in a group where maybe the women were um, not showing up from week to week. I didn't, I don't want to know. I don't know what stage I am. I have a really good idea. I don't want to know because as far as I'm concerned, I'm going forward. One thing I did um, find great success with was after um, all of my spinal pain um, and I did radiation on my spine, um, what I found was my pain in my neck was gone from a tumor perspective, but I had lost the movement in my neck. There is a fantastic place called Turning Point. And Turning Point is, and some people I think, including myself, think, oh, this is somewhere you go and you chat about your breast cancer and we have coffee and we cry and blah, blah, blah. Turning Point is an amazing place for rehabilitation. And by rehabilitation, I mean women who simply have a lumpectomy or maybe just one, um, a single mastectomy. A lot of times they lose the movement in their arm, like in their arm, in their armpit, in that whole area. Um, so it is, they are trained um, in breast cancer rehabilitation. So I'm talking about you're working with, with, um, you're, you're working with, um, equipment on mats, you're moving around, you're being worked on by a true physical therapist who know exactly what they're doing. Well, my radiation, basically what we figured happened with my neck was when we radiated it, radiation basically adheses all of your tissue and your fat and anything that's in there, okay? And so mine was stuck together like glue. No wonder I couldn't move. No muscular damage. I had been x-rayed. There was no spinal damage, anything. So it was all soft tissue. So with a few massages, with a lot of work from um, my physical therapist and um, a lot of exercise, 
I, I literally went from um, being almost torticollis, having torticollis like babies get where you cannot move to um, to being back to almost normal. So I, I give them so much credit for making me um, ready to play tennis this spring. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. You're listening to Lynn Wyatt talk about her journey through um, uh, discovery of cancer and its uh, recurrence elsewhere. Um, when you were, uh, you know, talking about turning point, how, how, tell me again, how, how did you find you know, turning point. I mean, how did you get to the resources, you know, that, you know, maybe yep. you should check with this. Who's telling you this? Okay. Uh, this is kind of fun. This is a funny story because I seem to not ever be able to find anything on the net that I want to find, which is crazy because I'm on the net all the time. One of my best friends works at Turning Point and she worked there um, all through my cancer and kept saying, you know, you ought to check us out. And I kept saying, I don't want to go sit in a room with coffee and women who think they're going to die. Right. Not understanding what it was. Well, I actually ended up um, interviewing for a job with them that that I didn't get for one reason or another. And then this all came back around and I'm like, well, what's going to hurt? I might as well go. Right. And um, clearly within about five minutes of being there, realized my mistake and how I didn't understand it. And I have since then, because I did, I do kind of feel like your doctors don't have enough information to give you. Yeah. I got sent to a regular traditional physical therapist from after chemo, after chemo and radiation were done, I got, and you know, they get all your medical history, they take up all your time, and then they give you the exact same exercises they're giving the person that was in a car accident next to you. Okay. I had radiation. I didn't knock my head on the windshield. You know, I wasn't thrown. I had radiation. And I guess when it comes to educating physical therapists, if I can give a shout out, it's somebody needs to really start focusing on chemo and radiation and the effects of that, because not just for breast cancer. I mean, anyone that gets radiation is going to have the same kind of effects that I did. And people need to be there to fix that. Nobody should live with pain. And know? that's what you got when you got to turning. Point. Yes. Massage and straight up physical therapy. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all, um, it's usually covered by your insurance company in the same way physical therapy would be. Uh, for metastatic patients like myself, I get a free massage once a month. And um, they do have, they are a nonprofit, so they raise money to cover any patient who cannot cover their therapy. So it's just an amazing place. Started by a survivor, run by several survivors as well. So Before we meet our next guest here on Top Docs Radio, tell me, do you have you know, like I was asking Judy, and I'll ask everybody as we go around the table, what what would you say to your your peers in the community who either are dealing with cancer right now or, or you know, they're, they're the folks that, you know, maybe they are just kind of wondering about, you know, what do I need to know? Yeah, I think everybody, certainly anyone my age, between the ages of 40 to 45, it is such a shock to get a diagnosis like cancer. And it's still, I think, in most people's minds, because we see it on TV, that we're going to die. Because all the images of cancer that I think I see the most are very sick people. Mm -hmm. And that's why uh, when I when I lost my hair, I never wore a wig because I felt like this is what cancer looks like. And I look okay. I mean, I look okay. I'm, I'm at the PTA meeting. I'm running around the school. I'm running around the tennis court. Um, so I want them to know it is not a death sentence. I want them to know they need to get help immediately and they need to listen to their body. I, that's the one thing I didn't do. I didn't follow up on what I knew was wrong with my body. And that's because I think so much of us trust our doctors mm. and we're, we're very hesitant to push back on them. I mean, they have a whole lot more of an education than I do when it comes to how the body works. But the last thing I would say is I have been surrounded by love and support and amazing people and people want to help. 
you need to let them help. We, we as women, um, we're so used to taking care of everybody else. We start to feel guilty when we'd rather lay on the couch because we did chemo three days ago. And we feel guilty about that. And we'll say no to the person who offered to come do it. Let people help you. Let people make dinner for you. Let them take your children. Let them help you because you will always have an opportunity to help back. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for sharing the, the story that you have told and, and for uh, given the information that you had for the folks out there who either have a loved one or maybe themselves they could benefit from knowing about some of these resources, which brings me to uh, our next guest here on Top Docs Radio. We're going to be talking to Janet Beebe. You're also uh, a breast cancer survivor, and you've dealt with uh, cancer more than once in your lifetime as well. So tell me a little bit about your story, Janet. Well, it happened in 1983, if you can even think back that far. You were probably in I was starting to drive. Yeah. <laughs> I call myself an old, young survivor. I was only 33 years old, having a baby and having breast cancer all in one, not knowing if uh, there was going to be anyone that was going to raise that child. I also had two other children at the time. And <clears throat> I, my first concern, of course, was who's going to take care of the family if I'm out of here. Mm. But as most of these stories we've heard so far today, uh, they're kind of similar in a way that uh, you almost have to go to City Hall to get a mammogram. At age 33, insurance does not pay for a mammogram. And actually, in 1983, no insurance paid for a mammogram. I was part of getting that approved in Washington, and, oh. and I'll tell you a little about that later. But... Um, getting a mammogram, uh, with being 33 years old was, was a task. And, uh, so I, what I did, uh, my on, uh, my, um, gynecologist that helped deliver the baby, I showed him the lump and he said, it's just a clogged milk gland. Go home and forget about it. Put some heat on it. You're too young to have anything serious. And, uh, I believe that. I believe that for about one day. And I'm very pushy and aggressive in my lifestyle, and I make sure things get done. So I decided to uh, call a, a doctor and try to get something uh, done. So he says, what do you want? And I said, uh, a mammogram. And it took, you know, weeks to get that approved through my insurance. Had the mammogram. It showed nothing. So, again, my gynecologist told me to go home and forget about it, that the mammogram was clear. I'm okay. I said, well... If it's clear, what is this lump? So uh, he says, well, tell me, and, you know, at that, in 1983, 33-year-olds were not having breast cancer. So he says, well, just what do you want me to do? I said, I want it out. So he lined me up with a surgeon down in a South Georgia hospital that uh, had never operated on a breast, never. And I called the night before to check with the doctor to see what kind of doctor he was. And he operated on children. And I said, cancel my surgery tomorrow. I won't be there. Good for you. And uh, at that point, I decided to move my uh, health interest into Atlanta. So I called a doctor in Atlanta. And he said, come now and let me see your and do some tests. So thank goodness I, had, I found a doctor that would uh, go ahead and say, you're right, it has to come out. Uh, most likely it's nothing, but it does have to come out. Now tell me, what what, what kind of specialist did you seek out? Was this a He was a breast specialist. As a matter of fact, the way I found him, I called in ho uh, one of the big hospitals here in Atlanta, and I said, 
who is your best breast cancer doctor? And they said, we're not allowed to answer that. But if you redirect that question. So I said, okay, who does the most breast cancer surgery in your hospital? And so that's how I found this marvelous guy that uh, took me under his wing and kept me for about 25 years until he passed away himself. Uh, in, in an operation unexpectedly. and uh, But anyway, uh, it was a, a great relationship that I had with that doctor, which I think is so important, um, having a doctor that knows what you're trying to accomplish during your surgery, your treatment, and everything else. But anyway, giving up my baby for treatment with my sister in another state was about the hardest thing. Uh, I wasn't able to lift. I had uh, 33 lymph nodes removed out from under one of my armpits, mm-hmm. which was basically my armpit. And I did have spread in my lymph nodes under my armpit. So it wasn't uh, just a simple breast cancer. It was a, a pretty aggressive, me being young with, you know, hormone levels being high. And, uh, but anyway, I'm, I made it. So now in this in this particular surgery, they, they did a single or did uh, they do a double? I, I first did a lumpectomy and radiation. And um, that lasted a little while. And um, uh, and remember, the mammogram never picked this up. I mean, mammograms That's pick up about 95% of all breast cancer. I mean, and I see them do ma- miraculous jobs every day. Was it just the, so, the tumor itself was just not dense enough um, to really kind of yeah, stand out against dense. the yeah, other tissue breast of the breast? Yeah, my breast was dense. And uh, uh, you have to have a lot of fat in your right. breast in order for a mammogram to do a really good job. And so uh, anyway, so I... Uh, Got through my radiation and got my child back with me, and uh, and my other two were old enough that they could stay, but I couldn't lift my uh, child was nine pounds, so <laughs> I there's no way I could even pick a, a baby up at that point, and uh, so uh, got over that, and then it came back, and the way it came back was I just had my mammogram, uh, and went in to see the doctor, and he did a thorough examination. Went home, and about two weeks, I found a little something on the scar of the lumpectomy, and I went back to him, and he said, I can't believe you found this, but it was breast cancer coming back in the scar of the lumpectomy. Mm. So the, at that point, I had reconstruction, mastectomy, the, the whole nine yards, and uh, some uh, chemotherapy pills that was uh, recommended for that particular thing. It thinned my hair, but I didn't lose it all. So... Uh, Backing up, back when I first had my breast cancer, when I was 33 years old, a lady came to visit me in the hospital that at, at the time had a nonprofit organization in, in downtown Atlanta called uh, uh, Bosom Buddies of Georgia. Mm-hmm. And she looked at me, and uh, she at, at that point was in her 50s, and she said, please do not take any time to fret over this because I need you so bad get over this as fast as you can. You've got to start helping with my organization. And I did. Within about three months, I was in Atlanta sitting sitting with this lady going over all the things that I had to do. And I became a, a full-time volunteer uh, at age 33, trying to work on the side and make a little money. Uh, but uh, volunteering, working nights and weekends, visiting patients in hospitals. And at that time, you didn't have the drive-by surgery. You just went in for a few days mm-hmm. so you were able to visit with patients but now you know they're in and out so quick they don't do that as much i was a volunteer with the american cancer society i've volunteered with Komen. uh all these things is how i have 
have survived breast cancer. You know, mm-hmm. reaching out to others is my medicine. That is uh, what I uh, thrive on, what keeps me going, and uh, that's how I started my own organization. We're, we're talking with Janet Beebe of Breast Cancer Survivors Network on Top Docs Radio, and and when the the woman from Bosom Buddies, buddies came mm-hmm. to talk to you. So was she referred to you through like case management? How did she find uh, you? Oh, that was through the American Cancer Society. Uh, she was at that time uh, volunteering with them and starting her own organization. And she said, uh, you know, I need you so bad. I have no young people in the organization. And I've just started it within months prior to my breast cancer. So as, as part of the hospital services, do they kind of contact those resources and say, right. hey, we've got a patient who's a newly they diagnosed did. cancer patient and we'd like for you to contact them? And They, they did. So uh, anyway, so I volunteered with her, helped her grow that organization to a huge organization and, and uh, uh, worked with patients, uh, went to schools, did all kinds of classes for colleges and helped set up programs and that sort of thing with this organization. And when she got almost 70, that put me in my 50s or, yeah, in my 50s. Uh, she uh, closed her organization down and needed, uh, and so all the people involved in it says, you you know, you just can't do that. So I picked up everybody she had in the organization with $73 in the bank <laughs> and started on, uh, and renamed it, did my own 501c3. And I don't know why, but I signed a lease on a, on a office with $73 in the bank and, uh, just put a lot of faith into it and put out a lot of, uh, letters begging for money. And my first month's rent got paid real quick. So it That's started amazing. working for me. I, I've decided I'm probably one of the biggest fundraisers in Georgia. I know how to do it. And we've talked about, you know, obviously our, our earlier guests, Judy and Lynn, uh, discussed, you know, that, you know, their memo. And, and obviously for you, um, you know, it was kind of unheard of as a young person, but uh, I've noticed that part of what you guys do with uh, Breast Cancer Survivors Network is you you link women up with the ability to get themselves mammograms. And and we have just, uh, just started a program for young adults to have their baseline mammograms that are under 40, insurance barely pays for mammograms now when so you even are today. yes even today but uh, uh on that on that topic i went on a bus with the american cancer society three years straight in a row to uh get mammograms approved by insurance this was back in the 90s uh it wasn't uh, uh, just a regular thing on insurance that you get a mammogram so we kept going up and presenting this to, uh, you know in washington and trying to get it approved so uh, we got our heads together and thought up an idea, and it worked. We added prostate screening to our request, <laughs> and, and it passed hands up, you know. So we, we found out the tricks, and uh, so thank God that that did happen. But uh, uh, still today, mammograms uh, are recommended for 40 and over, so that's when insurance starts covering that. Therefore, we now have more young people dying of breast cancer than mm. ever and before. And that's what I was going to ask you is information about for the younger population that Between doesn't Between 28 that. and 55, it is the number one killer for young uh, breast cancer patients. And uh, I, in my organization, I see it all the time. We lose probably two or three patients a month. We've got a uh, pink prayer list that uh, patients call in for prayer that need 
uh, they found out they're stage four. There's really not, not going to be a cure. They're, they they uh, have been told they've got a certain amount of time to live. They call in for prayer, and we send out a, a monthly card to them, let them know their prayers are being said every day for them. Uh, we go to a lot of funerals, and uh, we have about 27 right at this moment on that list, and that goes up and down uh, throughout the year, but we do take care of those patients. We make sure they get that card, they get their prayer. We have some churches involved in this program where they add those patients to their list of daily prayers. Uh, it's a non-denominational uh, service, and uh, we have a, a patient, a volunteer patient care person in our office that is also a survivor that calls those patients and makes sure they're doing okay and encouraging them and getting them laughing and you know that's one of my specialties is telling jokes and getting uh making tears turn into laughter so uh, we have helped uh near 800 patients in the last 12 months in our office and that is with medical supplies mammograms gas cards to get to their treatment if they don't uh, have a way to go and have to pay someone else, then we offer a card to help that, encourage that person to take them. We have a taxi service in our own uh, medical building that uh, will take patients for us too. But uh, we sometimes we do food cards for uh, young, our focus mostly is the young survivors right now because that seems to be the ones that aren't making it. They're in the gap. They're, yeah, they, they really don't know what to do with them. And usually breast cancer, if you're under say 50 years old, your breast cancer is usually a little more aggressive. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, uh, and someone 20, uh, in our, our, our youngest patient so far has been 22. And, uh, but we know what's going on with those patients on a, a weekly basis. We make sure we call them at least once a week and uh, see how they're doing and make sure they have what they need. And uh, if they don't, we give it to them. If we can't, we know who can. We're talking with Janet Beebe on Top Docs Radio. She's uh, here with the Breast Cancer Survivors Network. And now, did I, I would assume that people are made aware of you much in the same way as Bosom Buddies was to you with right. Cancer Society. Uh, yeah, I took all those people with the Bosom Buddy organization and kept them all going, added some more programs, and we've grown that. I've, I've uh, had my Breast Cancer Survivors Network uh, going on the ninth year now. And uh, we have over 35 monthly support groups meeting in Georgia every single month. And we have um, a lot of uh, patients just calling and walking into the office for bras, wigs, prosthesis. Uh, everything is brand new. I have companies sending me all that material. I don't have to go out and buy any of that. And we have a professional fitter that's a volunteer comes in and fits those patients for us. And uh, we do wigs and we shave heads actually in our office. And if we know somebody's coming and they're young and, you know, they're not handling it very well, we, we actually pitch pitch a party so when they walk in the door <laughs> they're like the uh, queen of the day you know when they walk in right. so what we want to do is just bring a little joy to them while they're there and most of the time they don't want to leave our our hope closet is a, a one of the rooms of our four suite office and it's in Fayette County down in Peachtree City the reason it's there it's one mile from my house <laughs> and That's and I, you know, I have to pick my perks. I don't pay myself to run this organization. That's it's amazing. a volunteer-led organization. Right. So I thought, well, I've got to get some conveniences of my own, and so it's one mile. Sometimes I even take my golf cart to work, you know, so it's real easy for me to get to the office. But I, I go to a lot of seminars. I've actually been in one this morning before I got here, and uh, 
uh, through the chamber. I do a lot of uh, trainings and, uh, you know, education programs through them. Uh, we do about 10 to 12 health fairs every year all over Georgia, making sure people know the signs of breast cancer because uh, you can't say it enough. The only way to live after breast cancer is to find it early and do something about it. If you don't do both of those things, you will not make it. If you uh, have dense breast and you get a and you feel something and you you know let your body talk to you, don't uh, doctors are fantastic, but they are not God. They do their best, and you know they have an abundance of information. But you know when you have two hundred patients coming in that day and in five seconds for each one, I mean you know cancer's out there. You you know you have to spread your time. So an organization like mine takes time to talk to those uh, patients that need a little more information on how to deal with their side effects or or where's a place to buy a wig. If they have insurance, we still help them uh, get the resources they need. But if they have no insurance and no uh, way of income, we take care of them 100%. We make sure they get what they need. I, I would assume, and one would hope, that the, the physicians in the community are, are getting better they and better do. about saying, hey, we're going to link you up with them or right. you should check into. Right. We, well, we had a patient come in one day and she says, I want to see Miss Janet. My doctor says I have to see Miss Janet. And I looked at her and I said, well, why? And her husband was with her and and uh, she, he, she says, I have no idea. I said, well, what kind of doctor was it? And, you know, it was a breast cancer doctor. I said, okay, let's go back to the hope closet and uh and uh, i will figure this out but anyway she was like a five-year survivor and she had never seen a prosthesis in her life and she was stuffing her bra with uh scarves and so the and doctor nobody had mentioned this along the, the way. doctor figured it out and sent her straight over to us and uh she cried all the way through the process of getting that because i'm i'm not sure if everyone listening today knows the cost of mammograms knows the cost of uh, prosthesis bras, all these things, but a bra and two prosthesis, if you were to have a double mastectomy, is way over $1,000. Mm. And if you don't have that, you just make do with what you have. And uh, we have we have a lot of uh, people that don't speak English that come into our uh, facility, and uh, sometimes they'll take a translator. One lady came in and uh, she didn't speak Spanish. I forget what country she was from, but she was here visiting and, and, uh, someone told her about us. And, uh, since we do have quite a bit of supplies, I don't turn anybody away that needs us. And she came in and I said, you're going to have to take your bra off. And she looked at me like, are you kidding me? No way. But you could read it on her face. And I kept saying, you've got to. So finally, her little girl that was uh, somewhere around eight or nine years old came in and told her. And she kept shaking her head no. And she she did not understand a word I was saying. But the little girl was our translator. <laughs> so I said, would you please tell your mom that her chest looks like mine? And she took her bra off, knowing that I had went through what she had went through, convinced her to let me help her. So because of that, we have uh, all our volunteers that are in our office, and two or three a day are in there right now. The office is being run by volunteers, are all survivors. And that helps so much just to be able to, whoever answers the phone can answer their question. And for you, uh, we're talking with Janet Beebe of Breast Cancer Survivors Network on Top Docs Radio. What, before we, you know, jump over and, and talk to your colleague here, what are the things that you think, obviously you've talked about, you know, uh, 
the the importance of self-exam and mammograms, but anything else that you would really want your, your folks in the community to know? Well, uh, and I hate to talk about money, but if, uh, if the, if you see an organization that's doing good in your community, uh, you know, support them, get out and, and volunteer for them. If you can't financially support them, you know, we do fundraisers in order to keep that office going. We don't get any kind of government assistance or anything. It's definitely donations is all we uh, survive on. And uh, we do our own fundraising events and, uh, you know, on our website, you can see those going on. But we, uh, I, because we are a nonprofit and because we are a volunteer-led organization, the money provided for us through all these uh, fundraisers go right back out into your own community right here in Georgia. We're a Georgia nonprofit. I was, I'm glad you said that because I was going to ask you real quickly uh, before we talk with Cookie. You know, if, if I want to get in touch with the Breast Cancer Survivors Network. Obviously, I can Google it and find your website. But what is your website address? And I assume all of your upcoming events, whether it's fundraisers or yeah. other things that you're doing, are, are listed there. Right. It, uh, it's, uh, of course, www.bcsurvivorsnetwork.org. And you're on Facebook and Twitter as well. Facebook and Twitter, you know, Survivors of BC for Twitter and the BCSN for Facebook. And uh, we got a, a bunch of other stuff. But a uh, real quick way to get to our uh, website, we have several different addresses for that, is just uh, bcsn.me, M-E at the end. In other words, do it to me, That's and uh, it'll get you straight there. Of course, we'll be, you know, our, we've already linked up on our social networking sites too. So if the folks out there listening are following uh, Top Docs Radio, you'll be able to get there as well. And right. we're very happy to help you get the word out about what you're doing. It's obviously excellent, and I think that we'll probably have reason to have you back, um, you know, next week when we have our positions on. I'm sure there'll probably be more questions and opportunities to have folks like yourself come back and and share with the community. And that uh, takes us last but not least to uh, somebody that Janet is uh, familiar with. That is Cookie Aftergut. And you are a breast cancer survivor yourself. And you like to describe yourself as a breast cancer thriver. Correct. Even a tap dancer. Yes. How about that? I did my <laughs> digging. Now, you, you, you started an organization called Chemouflage. Right. So take me through your story uh, a little bit and you know, kind of leading up okay. to um, your, your diagnosis and what resources you were exposed to and then to to, uh, to chemoplage? Uh, I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2002, and it was sh it showed up on an annual mammography. I usually uh, have my mammographies every year around my birthday. That's my birthday present to myself and a reminder. So I, um, I went in for mammography. I was told I, I needed another picture, and I said, okay. We did another picture, and um, I could just tell by the technician that something was askew. Right. And I said, uh, well, how about let's doing a um, ultrasound? And I was told, well, that has to be doctor's orders. I said, well, call my doctor. And they called my doctor. I did a ultrasound and I'm not blind I could see on the camera that there was a black dot there so I knew something was going on um, the radiologist came in and wanted to know um, I mean said uh, this looks suspicious and you'll probably have to have it removed and I said well uh, this was on a Wednesday I said well Friday I'm leaving on my family vacation um, can we do it 
how soon can we do it? He said, well, we can do it tomorrow. We'll do a needle biopsy. And I said, well, when will you get the results? He said, well, we should have them Friday morning about 10 or 10.30. I said, that'll work because I'm leaving on vacation Friday. So I went in the next morning, had the needle biopsy. That Friday, we left at 6 o'clock for Florida. We got as far as Valdosta, Georgia. We got to a payphone, called the doctor, and he said, well, I'm sorry to say it is cancer, and you need to have this removed. I said, okay. We got to the condominium, and I started calling doctors here in Atlanta, made arrangements to see a doctor the following Monday, had surgery Tuesday, uh, that Friday night, though, we talked to, I have two sons and four grandsons. I had three grandsons at that time. And my daughter-in-laws, we had a little, we were just having a family fun time. And I said, well, I need to tell you something. And we're all sitting there. And I said, um, I have breast cancer, but I'm going to be okay. But I just want everybody to know that. Well, there was silence and the beginning of tears. And I said, I'm going to be okay. And uh, sure enough, um, we did my surgery. And of course, waiting to hear if you have to have further treatment. It's about two days after your lymph nodes have been removed. I had a lumpectomy. My cancer was 1.2 centimeters. I uh, had 10 lymph nodes removed. One of them was involved with uh, cancer cells. Therefore, I had to have eight rounds of chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Before I had my chemotherapy, I did get another opinion, and I think that's an important thing to do is to get another opinion. I went to Philadelphia and spoke to a, a research doctor there, and he suggested that the regiment my doctor here in Atlanta had suggested was fine. So I went through eight rounds of chemotherapy and 33 radiation treatments. And um, after I finished my radiation treatments, I came up with the idea of uh, starting a nonprofit foundation to help women going through chemotherapy. I had so many unanswered questions I didn't know who to ask or what to ask. Mm-hmm. And once I found out the answers, then I wanted to be able to share it with others. So I initially went to a nonprofit existing foundation with the idea of a program. And they said, well, fine, Cookie, we would love to do uh, – it sounds like a good program, but we don't have any money for you. I said, we'll build the stadium. They will come. Right. And when I said that – and I meant it. Uh, they said, we'll try it for three months. So I started a program called Chemo Chic, was the first program that I started. And I did it for three months. But before I really start, got the first meeting, uh, my husband and I entertained 50 of my friends that helped me through my chemo journey. We had a tea party at the Swiss Hotel. And instead of buying favors for everyone, I asked my husband to make a nice donation to this foundation to get this program off the ground. He gladly did that, and I had little cards made for everyone saying, in honor of your presence, a donation has been made to start this program called Chemo Chic. Started the program, 
And about a month after I started it, $1,200 came in from my friends. So I knew I had money to work with. I, for two and a half years, did it as a volunteer. Uh, during that time, someone nominated me for Yo Play Champion Award that I received. My husband and I went up to New York to get this award. It's a very prestigious award. Why they honored me, I honestly don't know. They, they honored 25 people nationwide. Amazing. And uh, I was in such wonderful company. Uh, the woman who designed breast cancer postage stamp was there. Uh, a woman who started the um, merit badge for Girl Scouts for breast cancer awareness. She was there. And I mean, I was really in good company. And um, right before I went to New York, I knew I had to have my own foundation. So... Uh, going to the, uh, to New York, they honored us by giving each of us a thousand dollars. And I said, would you please hold my check until I become a 501c3? And I'm starting. Camouflage came around. That's how camouflage okay. started. So I started my foundation with a thousand dollars that was given to me from, uh, Yo Play Champion. And I started the program and really wanted to direct the program out of a hospital situation. Therefore, I contacted the store manager at Nordstrom's, and we have a a meeting room at Nordstrom's that is designated for me to meet each month uh, here in Atlanta. I also go four times a year to Houston, Texas, and I see a lot of MD Anderson patients mm -hmm. there. And we have our meetings at the Nordstrom store there. That's great. So, you know, I'm very blessed that I'm able to do this. My The meeting that uh, I started, it's not just about cookie. I don't just get up and talk myself. Right. I bring in an oncology nutritionist that talks about good nutrition while you're going through chemo. I also have an oncology social worker that discusses the issues of chemo brain and depression. And by the way... Chemo brain was not even terminology that was used when I was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer. Uh, and one day, my husband had this very silly grin on his face, and I said, why are you looking at me that way? He says, Cookie, you said the same thing to me this morning, word for word. I said, I did not. And he said, you did. And I thought, oh, my gosh, am I getting dementia? I had no idea that there was something called chemo brain, because really, doctors didn't tell you that back then. Well, now volumes of books are written on chemo brain. It is short-term memory loss. And I can tell you you that um, as I tell my patients, it's not because of my age, but as I tell my patients, you can milk chemo brain as long as you need to. When you cannot think of someone's name, just say, excuse me, I have residuals from chemo. So I um, uh, also bring in a, a young lady that does a relaxation segment for our meeting, and uh, we learn to meditate for about 20 minutes. And then I demonstrate how to wear scarves attractively and how to put on an eyebrow. We serve lunch. This is a free meeting. Uh, several oncology practices in the Atlanta area have my brochures and know about what I do, and that's where I get most of my patients. So now are all the schedules and locations for the meetings, are they on your website? They are. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us how to find you on online. Okay. My um, 
The easiest way is www.chemoflage.com. And chemoflage is spelt C-H-E-M-O-F-L-A-G-E. It's like camouflage because no life should be hidden. That's right. I, and, and just I'm, I'm going to be up against the time, so I'm going to have to bring you back because there's so many more things that I want to talk to you with about. You've got your book and you've got the, the chemo brain and much more information for you to share. Uh, one of our, our listeners, and I wanted to include it because somebody did tweet in, and, and a common thing that I've heard among all of you all is your positive attitude has, has really carried you all forward, and I can really see it and feel it in your faces and just in, in, just in, in your dynamics being around you. So... Uh, Talk about that. I mean, was that, you know, just kind of built into you? Is that how you were wired? I mean, how did you manage to keep that positivity? Well, I know myself, I am, uh, have always been uh, a person to feel like uh, the glass is half full, not half empty. Uh, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, uh, it was not why me. It's why not me? I can handle this. And um, that was my attitude. Breast cancer did run in my family. My mother had it at age 70. When I was diagnosed, I was 61. Uh, my grandmother passed away at 58 of breast cancer. Um, but back then, they didn't have mammographies and, and uh, chemotherapies. So... Um, you know, it's it wasn't a shock to me when I was diagnosed, um, and I just felt like, well, I've got to take care of business, and I did. Now, I can tell you, uh, as I have said in my book, uh, the birds did not know my location for 61 years because I never heard them. Since I have gone through this journey of cancer uh, treatment, I go outside, it's like a symphony outside. So it does put things in perspective. And you've got to learn to live every day to the fullest. And you don't wait for the storm to pass. You learn to dance in the rain. Oh, that's amazing. I, and I, I, I owe you another appearance cookie because they're going to they're gonna cut me off here. So promise me you'll come back on the sure. show and talk some more. Um, and I'm going to definitely be putting out uh, the information to get our listeners um, all the information about your organization, Chemoflage, and uh, the book that you have here, Cookie Crumbs, Cookies Crumbs of Wisdom. Uh, and I will share with them on my uh, social media about how to uh, get a copy of that book from you as well. Um, Please be sure to follow Top Docs Radio on Twitter at Top Docs on BRX. You can tweet your questions at hashtag Top Docs BRX. We're on uh, Facebook.com slash Top Docs on BRX. And uh, please link up with us there. Share with them with your friends because obviously we've got some great information for folks that you care about. I'm very honored to get this time with you ladies. Uh, you all were amazing and uh, certainly have touched me. Uh, I'm your host, C.W. Hall, here at Top Docs Radio. We'll see you next week, and it can't come soon enough.